بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد الحمد لله after a number of weeks Allah سبحانه وتعالى brings us back together in his beautiful house in these beautiful moments we are reminded once again especially listening to beautiful Quran verses about Jannah and Jahannam being recited in Salatul Fajr Allah سبحانه وتعالى says about these moments إن قرآن الفجر كان مشهودا this moment of when Quran is recited in Fajr Salah, this is a time when all of the angels are present, the angels of the day, the angels of the night. It's the most spiritual moment you can have in the entire day. So we are now in the company of the angels. And when we stay in the company of the angels, we get influenced by the angels, the malaika. And uh, inshallah, that will have an impact on the rest of the day as well. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be part of such gatherings. Uh, and such congregations again and again and we have to allow ourselves to be in these environments for us to benefit um, otherwise there are so many things pulling us from all directions and it's so easy to get distracted so we have to kind of keep bringing ourselves and alhamdulillah we're lucky and fortunate that they are not just here but in so many different places there's, there's a lot of activity taking place uh, more than before but the thing is am I part of it or not so it's just about us coming into that environment. Like we see in Ramadan, for example. In Ramadan, you walk into the masjid and many people are reading Quran. So what do you feel like doing? So uh, normally, you wouldn't have read Quran. If you were at home, you probably wouldn't have read Quran. But just by walking into a place where people are doing good, you feel like doing good. A person who's a smoker, for example, they might, not, they might have their fixed amount, 10 a day, 20 a day. Yesterday, someone was telling me they have 40 a day. And... They've had their allowance or whatever you want to call it. And then they've got to a street corner and their friends are standing there and they're all smoking. What's he going to do? Even though he's had his, he's going to pull it out. This is environment. This is the company. This is the atmosphere that we surround ourselves with. It has a massive difference. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to be in good company, um, at the right place, doing the right things at the right time. And one of the scholars used to say, if you're in the right place, at the right time, you'll end up doing the right things. And if you end up in the wrong place at the wrong time, you'll end up doing the wrong things. It's quite, kind of automatic. So if you want to stay away from doing the wrong things uh, at the wrong time with the wrong people, the easiest thing is just be in the right place at the right time. Automatically, you'll be protected and you'll be doing the right things. May Allah give us the understanding. So as a continuation with our topic uh, on discussing um, gratitude, shukr, Um, yesterday we had some, alhamdulillah, very good weather after a long time. And um, we always look forward to weather like this. Uh, especially if you've got kids and then you, know, you want to make the most of it. So alhamdulillah, yesterday um, I managed to go out with the kids. Just let them run around a little bit, have some fun. So we went out somewhere and they kind of spent quite a bit of time outdoors enjoying themselves, uh, doing various things. And then towards the end, we found like a, a nice play area for them to play. So they, they, they played to their heart's desire. They did everything they wanted to. And then when it was time to go, you know how it happens? Oh, one more. Last one. So we did last one. Last one. So we did another last one. Another last one. So we did a number of these last ones. And then there's a time where you have to make a decision now that, okay, that's the official last one, the official final. 
So we went through a few last ones and then we all agreed that, okay, this is going to be the last one. So that was the last one. So had, they had a brilliant day throughout the day and then at the end they did everything they wanted to do. And then we're heading back to the car. And this was just my observation, it's quite interesting. So, and this is very common and we can learn many lessons from this. So as we're going back to the car, uh, one of them decides to say that it's not fair. This is a very typical thing that many children say and we don't realize we as adults might not say it But we sometimes think this as well and I, I, The first thing comes to my mind like, like What in the world like you've just had a, the day of your life you've had you've done everything you wanted to do And it was just that last one Which was being asked for after the hundred last ones that we didn't do because of that Okay, and that carried on till like half the journey home. Um, it's not fair. I had no fun today. Can we go back? Just that one more. We need to do that one more. And that carried on happening. On the contrary, another child said to me, um, it was really nice today. We did so many things. And what I saw was a massive difference, okay, in the outlook, in the behavior, in the attitude, in the mood of both. So the one who said we had a really good day, there was so much to do, okay, is very happy is content, is calm, and overall is giving off a good vibe, good energy, positive. On the contrary, the child who's gone through exactly the same experience, there was no difference. They had the same experience, right? What's happening? Having a tantrum, is very whingy, is whiny, is crying, is complaining, and is creating a very negative kind of giving off negative energy, making everyone else feel upset and thinking like, just be quiet now. Like, and you can't reason with someone like that because inside you know that everything went very well. They've enjoyed themselves. So what, what was the problem here? The problem is this, and we do this very often as well. The problem here is, we've spoken about this many times, what you focus on, you feel. What you focus on, you feel. Where you focus, your energy goes. So this is what happens when you've got a camera, okay? You've got the zoom in and zoom out. What's happening in our lives is we're zooming in onto the things that we don't have. The few, Allah's given us lots of things. And there's a couple of things that Allah hasn't given us for whatever reason. What we do is we zoom in onto that one item like this child was doing okay she didn't look at everything that she had on that day and all the fun that she had she just chose to look at that one thing that she didn't have and that's it she couldn't see you might think if you were sitting there you think like what how, how can you how can you have forgotten and this is what happens to us when we go into this state some onlooker would probably say that like, how ungrateful can a person be? But at that time, why can't we see it? Why can't we see it? Because we've zoomed in just on that one thing. And that's all we're thinking about. That's all we're talking about. That's all we're, everything going in our mind. Like, why have I not got this? He's got it. She's got it. Why? This is what I need. And then what happens is this is what you focus on. Remember this, what you focus on, that's what you feel. And remember feeling is your emotions okay and that is what moves you that's, that gives you energy good or bad so take the example again what we had 
she was focusing on that one thing she didn't have not the hundreds of things she had so because she focused on that no matter how much you reason with her and say look you did this you did she focused on that one thing how was she feeling okay feeling very down very depressive saying things like it's not fair it's not fair okay they think what, what do you mean it's not fair you've had everything you wanted but this is what happens and as adults we go through this as well we tend to so what we are being told is don't zoom in on one thing zoom out if you take the lens out and have an overall view then you will say alhamdulillah Allah's given me so much yeah that, I might not have that one but look at focus on what you have not what you don't have focus on the millions of blessings not on that one thing that you haven't got and you will see an immediate change and it will create within you the sense of gratitude the sense of shukr and if you thank Allah, Allah will enhance you. Allah will amplify that blessing as well. And Allah will give even more. So the idea over here is how we can learn. You know, some scholars have said that shukar is one of those things that some people have reached Allah just through shukar. That's it. Shukar is so powerful some people have managed to reach Allah in some of the in some of the pathways of the Sufiya. So you've got different pathways, different schools, like we have different schools of fiqh, there's different pathways of the Sufiya as well. And their aim is one to reach Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Some of them, the most dominant kind of characteristic that they're trying to create within their disciples, and most of their focus is on this, is on sugar. And you know what? It's a very easy way of doing things. One is through sabr. Some people reach Allah through sabr. Hard. Because for sabr, you need a lot of musibah. You need a lot of trouble. But what do you need for shukr? You need blessings. It's like being in a millionaire's club, basically. It's the easy way. It's the luxury way of reaching Allah. The easiest way of reaching Allah is through shukr. Very easy. Because there, you're focusing on your blessings. And there is no one, no one in this world who is not blessed. If we start thinking... That's why Allah says, وَإِن If you try to count Allah's blessings, you won't be able to count them. You will not be able to number them. But it, Allah can bless you. You can be a millionaire. So let's, I'll just use that word. You can be a millionaire. But if your focus is on, if you zoomed in, what will happen? You'll be the most miserable person. Why, why are you feeling miserable? Why you feel you've got so much? You look at the guy and you think, "What have you got? You've got so much. Why is that person miserable? Because they decided to focus on the one or two things that they don't have, and until they don't get it, they feel it. And when they even get that, then they'll focus on what they don't have again, and that's going to make them feel. That's where their energy will go. Will they'll, they'll be drained? They'll have no energy whatsoever. Whereas on the contrary, you could get somebody who is very simple, doesn't have. We won't even call. We won't even call rich. We won't even call, you know, even breaking even, even below the bar. But that individual is content and he zooms out and he looks at his overall and thinks, Alhamdulillah, I feel blessed. Allah has given me so much. That person, what will, how will they feel? They will feel uh, overjoyed. They will feel happy. They will feel content. And most importantly, they will feel gratitude. And gratitude is something that drives you to do more, more good 
and it brings more good. You do more good, it brings more good. And it continues like that. In the world, in the world it continues. If somebody does you a favor, okay, gratitude is beneficial for everybody. If somebody does you a favor and you go and appreciate them, you go and say thank you, okay, what's going to happen in that person's heart? It benefits you first of all, but the opposite person, they're going to think, oh, what I did was good. It's been appreciated. Let me do more of it. Let me do more of it. So gratitude is so powerful and it creates more good in the world. That's the whole idea of it. It creates more good because, you know, when, when, when someone's appreciated, it helps them to do more. And when someone's not appreciated, I give you an example and everybody can relate to this. When you're driving on the road and you give somebody way, okay, it's a very simple example. And we, the, another, another issue, another issue we have is we're always waiting for big moments. Okay, and this is a mistake. We're always waiting for the big moments. Like when I get a new car, for example, that's when I'll do shukran. Or when my son or daughter gets married. Or when I go on this big holiday that I've been planning for years. Or when, you know, one day I win the lottery or something. Or, you know, we're waiting for like big spectacular moments. Big spectacular moments happen when? Once in a while, it might not even happen. If we're waiting, a lot of people live life like this. They're waiting for the next big thing. That life is a very miserable life. Because you're, you're, it's all about that one big thing. And that might not come. And you don't know when that's going to be. Instead, if we enjoy every blessing of Allah, and there are millions to enjoy, millions, every single blessing if we enjoy you, how even this is a blessing. You know, I told you a few weeks ago about that person who, the person was buzzing about the wateriness of water. That's what excited them. That how water is so watery. Right? It's an emma. And you might think that sounds so... But imagine how that person feels by, when interacting with something so simple. Okay? And appreciating it. So, when you're driving, for example, and you've given someone way, Right? It happens all the time. You've given someone way. And what happens? They've drove past. Now, you're not, you don't do... Th nobody generally does things to get something back in return. Especially as something as simple as giving way. But, as you've stopped, you've stopped your car so that the car at the in front of you can pass by. Now what happens? If the guy drives past, man or woman, and puts a hand up, or she puts a finger up, or just nods the head. What happens to you? It, it just feels good. You didn't want it. You didn't ask for it. You weren't expecting it. But it gives you, just automatically, it makes you feel good. On the contrary, okay, you've stopped, you've given way, and the person driving just goes, hmm? What happens? something happens there's no explanation to what it is and think about the other way now when when you're the one who's been given way okay and we have to look from both ends when someone gives you way okay don't you get pleasure out of putting your hand up or nodding your head it's such a small thing doesn't it benefit you but you're giving normally when we when you talk about giving you feel tight Okay? Whoever shows shukr and gratitude, the most benefit will be for yourself. 
how powerful it is. It makes you feel good. You're giving, but that makes you feel good. Now, sometimes it happens, okay? Sometimes we fall in that category. Okay, I know, right? Because sometimes your mind's just somewhere else. You're just not with it. You're thinking about a hundred other things or you've got somewhere to get to and you couldn't care who's giving you away, who's not giving you away, right? At that time, sometimes we become like this and you're just driving. If someone gives you away, good. If someone doesn't give you away, well, that's good as well. You just want to get there. And what happens? You're not, that's not even in your mind. And it's not intentional, but it sometimes happens. So you're driving, you're driving, and then someone's given you away. They've stopped for a considerable amount of time and they've given you away, and you've drove off, okay? Maybe you didn't notice. If your wife's sitting next to you, okay, she'll tell you, that guy was so peed off. Okay, did you not see? I think, what are you talking about? I didn't even notice. Like, what, what did I do wrong? I, oh, they gave you away. Oh, I didn't even realize. So you must have experienced this. And some people do get quite annoyed. And, and, and we're in the same thing. If, some, if we give somebody away, it's not as if we're expecting them, but it's just, can you see such a small gesture? And you're, you're not asking for a monetary contribution. You're not asking for anything extra. It's just a, such a simple gesture of like nod of the head. That's it. Or putting the hand up. Or just, just, uh, just flashing the light, for example. That's all it is. Can you see? So here as well. Now, inshallah, today I'm going to share with you another way. Remember, Quran tells us, I'malu ala Dawood shukran. Dawood and his family are being told that cultivate the practice of gratitude. Shukr can't be something that we just do on the big moments. We have to do it all the time. And the hadith tells us until you don't learn to appreciate the people, you will not know how to appreciate Allah. It's, it's not the other way around. We think if we do shukr to Allah, then we'll do shukr to the people. No, that the Prophet said, Mallam yashkurin nas, lam yashkurillah. Ramadan is coming and the chanda people will be here. And you'll be hearing this hadith every day because they do chanda all day. And at the end, they will stand up and they'll say this hadith. Mallam yashkurin nas, lam yashkurillah. Whoever doesn't thank the people, in true sense, they will not learn how to thank Allah. So this is how it's, this is the system. Allah's made it like this. So we have to learn to appreciate people. So this driving is a small example. Somebody might think, well, why should I put my hand up? Okay, why should I flush? Why, why should I, you know, acknowledge that what they've done? Well, if you don't do that, they've done something, they've, they've done something for you. So it's a matter of acknowledging that. It looks small, but in this, you can reach the love of Allah just by doing that. Because this is shukr and Allah loves shukr. And we have to practice and cultivate uh, 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 an attitude of shukar all the time. So we can't just do it on the big moments. We have to create this habit. And you know, if we've been speaking about like a gratitude journal, writing down, or we, we had the app, and you know, if somebody was to write down five new things every day that you feel grateful for in your life, I guarantee, I guarantee you could live for another 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years and you won't finish writing down. Because Quran says, If you were to count the blessings of Allah, you will not be able to. If you were to write, and, and I'm not talking about the big moments, each one, one, one small thing. And do you know when you start doing this, okay, you start noticing more as well. Why? Because you focus. You, you focus. Like I shared with you a few weeks ago, um, when we started discussing these things more, automatically your focus goes. When I was taking the bin out, it's rubbish. 
okay, which is a job that nobody likes doing. But automatically I thought, oh, the bin is only full because Allah's blessed us with so many things. Okay, and automatically now you feel different about doing something like that. The road works, instead of annoying you, will think these people are working to make the life better for me. So similarly, there is a practice that we can introduce in our lives, which is extremely beneficial for us, first of all, remember, because it benefits you the most. And of course, it's beneficial for the community, the person receiving as well, and also for the rest of the world. And that is something we call a gratitude visit. A gratitude visit. Let's try and introduce this during this week, even if it's one person. Think about somebody in your life who has done something good for you, big or small. It doesn't have to be something really big. Something big or small. Someone that's shown you some kindness. You've benefited from them. You've learned something from them. It's helped you in some way, shape or form. Go leave your house and go to their house or wherever they are. Just visit them for no reason, no reason, but to just go and say thank you. That's it. A gratitude visit. That's it. Very powerful action. The Prophet ﷺ has mentioned many virtues of leaving your house and going to meet somebody only for the sake of Allah. There are virtues in hadith that how many thousands of angels pray for you and they say that may your, may your walking be blessed. The, I can't remember the exact words, but may your walking be blessed. May you be guided. May you be protected. There are such beautiful du'as given by the angels for people who leave their home and you've gone to visit this one person, you've knocked on their door. They were expecting you. You didn't tell them from in advance that you're going to come with this in mind. And it's not a long kind of visit. You've just gone just to say thank you. And something you can couple with that, maybe a card, okay, maybe a letter. Um, and there was a study done. I found this very interesting. There was a study done recently about a person that was depressed. And they wrote a gratitude letter, just thanking somebody, and they made a gratitude visit. So they went to this person's house, and they said, um, I've just come to say thank you for what you did for me so many years ago. And here's a letter um, I've written to you. The research shows that that action helped this individual feel so much better for three months. For three months, this person forgot what depression was. It left this individual. Why? Because of practicing gratitude. A very powerful action this is. Not just for the person, the person receiving, they will benefit because they'll feel appreciated. As a result of which, it will make them feel good. As a result of which, they'll do more good. So more good is coming into the world. But we're talking about you, me. When we do this, it's very good for us because we're focusing on a blessing. When you focus on a blessing, you feel grateful inside. When you feel grateful, all the other negative feelings, they go away, they're suppressed. And a person doesn't feel that, oh, it's life not fair, I'm being mistreated, this is happening to me, why? All of that goes away. And a person just feels content, happy, and a person feels that inner joy and that peace and that contentment 
May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq. So everyone's going to try and do this inshallah. Next week we'll see how it went. You can give some feedback inshallah how your gratitude visit uh, went. And it doesn't have to be something really elaborate or sophisticated. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. That's where the blessings are in the simple things. Uh, because if, if, you, if you try and make it too big, it probably won't happen. Because all your time will go in thinking about it and planning it. Um, just something, keep it really simple and you will see. And imagine we can introduce this into the world where people are just going to people just to say thank you. And you, it's amazing. And this is a way to reach Allah. Allah says, Malam yashkurin nas, lam yashkurillah. If you want to learn how to be grateful to Allah, then be grateful to the people. And automatically, people will become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. May Allah give us a tawfiq. So let's um, have a quick recap of our last lesson. I did send it out last night because um, I thought it'll help. It'll help with some revision. It's been a few weeks. Okay, so the last lesson was lesson 37. And which Sahabi was it about? Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. Gee, who can remind us of just a few points? Let's put these points together. Christians. Inshallah, he's remembered a lot of the points. It's always uh, fascinating to be in the actual place and talk about this. That must, must adds something else to the actual story, gives life to it. Anything else that otherwise not mentioned? Yep.
To write. Yes. So I have indicated in the message for that reason. So in Surah Saad, very interesting. So Umar radiallahu anhu, when he arrives to Masjid Aqsa, he leads two rakat namaz. In the first rakat, he he recited Surah Saad, and the second rakat, Surah Al-Isra, Subhanalladhi Asra. Now everybody knows straight away, Subhanalladhi Asra is because of the mention of Masjid Al-Haram, Masjid Al-Haram, Masjid Al-Aqsa. Everybody knows that. But Surah Saad, he recited, and this shows you the intellect of Umar radiallahu anhum. Uh, because Surah Saad speaks about Prophet Dawud alayhi salam, and he speaks about the sajda of Dawud alayhi salam, so Umar radiallahu made the sajda of Dawud in the mihrab of Dawud and so did everybody else. He's trying to show that I am on the same footsteps of the first liberator. The first monotheistic liberator of Baytul Maqdis was Dawud And now I am the second one. This is what he's trying to show by doing that. Um, so it's a strong connection because this is to show Islam is no different to what the previous prophets came with. So they're trying to claim that that was one of their people, David, Solomon. No, we are following the same thing. Our connection doesn't start now. Many people say Muslims came to Palestine from the time of Umar bin Khattab. That's how they try and project it. That Al-Aqsa was there from that time. Before that, you didn't have anything. But we're trying to show no, our connection goes all the way back. Coming back to the story which Maulana was mentioning about the clothing on the ride, the horse. So he was given this nice horse and this nice white clothes to wear. And he wore it, he accepted it. And then he took it off, saying that, you know, I, what if shaitan influences me and changes my heart? So some sahaba, they insisted, they said, look, we have to impress the people. These are big people. You have to just, just wear it for a bit. We know you don't like it, but just wear it for a bit. Ride this nice horse just for a bit and wear it just for a bit. And this is when Umar radiallahu what did he say? He told the Sahaba that famous statement. If you seek the honor and glory of Allah in things that Allah hasn't put it in, you will be disgraced. Glory isn't in clothes and it's not in a vehicle. You, if you people are saying that if I wear this and dress this and ride on this, then it'll, things will become better. See, but Allah has a put glory. If you begin seeking, he, he started fearing for the Sahaba. And if you're seeking glory in places Allah hasn't placed it, then you'll be destroyed. Anything else? Yep. 
Yep, so when in, initially he refused. Umar radiallahu anh kept insisting that no, it's a command, you must give the adhan. So Bilal was the first to give adhan in Makkah on top of the Kaaba, the first to give adhan in Masjid Nabawi, and also the first to give adhan in Masjid Al-Aqsa. When he reached Ashhadu Anna Muhammad Rasulullah, all the Sahaba were in tears. Who cried the most? Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah, uncontrollable. He cried the loudest and the longest, the hadith mentions. He cried the most. Um, he couldn't stop his tears. So it shows his extreme love for the Prophet Anything else? There was one point which I didn't mention uh, in the actual uh, session last time. And that was when Umar radiallahu anhu came to Jerusalem, he came across um, Abu Al-A'war Sulami. Abu Al-A'war Sulami, remember, is the first Sahabi we spoke about. Do you remember? It's been a while. In, in our series when we started talking about Sahaba, the first one we spoke about was Abu Al-A'war Sulami. So he saw him, he'd already, he was already there. So what he had done, he dressed like the Romans, like the Christians, just to assimilate. You know, sometimes we try and just be a bit, it's Muhammad, we change it to Mo. Okay, just to like, be, be a bit like them. They'll never, they'll never accept you until you don't totally become like Quran says. You can try and change, okay, but it's not going to happen. None of it's going to make a difference. So he had dressed like the Christians, so Sayyidina Umar radiallahu when he saw it, he became very angry. He disapproved of it. And he says, take sand and throw it in the faces of such people. Keep throwing sand in their face until they come back to our style of clothing, our style of dress and our practices. This is not going to help you. It's not going to do anything to you. They're not going to become nicer to you just by you becoming like this. You're still a Muslim. And that's the thing. So you changing your dress isn't going to do nothing at all. Nothing. Yeah, if you become a Christian, okay, and dress like a Muslim, but you're a Christian, what they want is in your heart. You can, you can dress like a Muslim as much as you want, but if you become a Christian, they'll be happy with you. But if you dress like them and you're still a Muslim, then it's not going to make any difference at all. During the Christian rule of Jerusalem, what did they use Masjid al-Aqsa as the Christians? A dumping ground. So they would just, it was just full of rubbish. Um, so when Umar radiallahu came, the first thing he did was a cleaning project. Sahaba were cleaning and Umar radiallahu also took part in cleaning the whole of the masjid. And the final thing we mentioned was, before leaving Jerusalem, what did he do? He gave the assurance of safety to the people of Jerusalem that as long as they pay the jizya, um, everything of theirs, their rights, their property, 
their lives, their religious places, their religious symbols, even the cross, all of them will be protected. Uh, and as long as they pay the jizya, and they will be treated with mercy and compassion, just like Muslims will be. This is under Muslim rule. So the, the time when Jerusalem has thrived the most is when it's been under Muslim rule, because that's been the most tolerant. Oh, jizya, yeah, it's, it's a kind of a tax. Um, so if Muslims conquer a land, they give three options. Either you people, you accept Islam. You become Muslim and you'll become same as us. No difference at all. We're not going to think you as lower. We'll be exactly the same. And that happened in some places. People, the people of the land accepted Islam. If you don't, and there's no force in, in our religion, there's no force. It's up to you. If you don't want to accept Islam, okay, that's fine. There's no force. We're not going to force you. The second option is that now that we've come here, we've conquered this land, um, we're going to rule this land. You want to stay with us, that's fine. You'll have to pay an annual fee. It's not a large amount. And by you doing that, all your rights will be protected. You carry on doing your worship. You can have churches, synagogues, whatever you want. We'll respect you and we'll treat you in a good way. And you'll have many, many rights. You just pay that small amount every year. That's it. Uh, to acknowledge that, you know, we are now the conquerors here and you're living under our rule. And if they refuse to do that, I mean, they can leave. They can leave. The, the third option is if they refuse Islam, number one, if they refuse uh, to pay the jizya, then they've got an option of leaving if they want. But if they don't want to, they still want to be there and they want to be in the way and they're not accepting, then, then they will have no choice but then to fight. So that, that's where it comes on the third. Well, okay, we'll fight you then. And that's how battles happen in, throughout history, if you look at history. Um, Islam has this kind of protocol, whereas many other places and many other religions even, they just go and just start annihilating everything like we're seeing now. Okay, what we're seeing is just, is just annihilation, total destruction. Islam doesn't believe in destruction like that. And again, you're not allowed to um, cut down any trees, you're not allowed to block any rivers, you're not allowed to... Um, attack any women or children or civilians. There, there's so many rules that are given even at a time of battle and war as well. So that this, this is the three-step process that, that you have at the time of uh, conquering a land, not just on the street normally. We, that, that's, people take things out of context and they try and apply it. Okay, let's move on to t today's lesson inshallah. So today's lesson will be lesson number 38. <clears throat> so the Sahaba in Beit al-Maqdis in Palestine, part 12. And so lesson 38, part 12 of the Sahaba series. And which Sahabi is it number? 10. Okay, Sahabi number 10. So three numbers for you to remember. Okay, so it's our lesson 38, 12th part of the Sahaba series and 10th Sahabi. And today's Sahabi is Sayyiduna Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu ta'ala anhu. This was a very great Sahabi. Sayyiduna Mu'adh radiyallahu anhu was, so you remember this name because the name is a little bit different to the other names that we hear. Mu'adh bin Jabal. So he was a jurist, a faqih, a scholar, and a very pious person. And he accepted Islam at the age of 18. So young, 18. And when he accepted Islam, with him were 70 people from the Ansar. Where were the Ansar from? Medina. So with 70 other people, he was one of them from Medina who accepted Islam at the age of 18. 
he participated in all of the campaigns in Badr, in Uhud, in Khandaq, alongside the Prophet He's narrated a total of 157 hadith from the Prophet How many? 157. He's amongst the four individuals who compiled the Quran in the life of Rasulullah We know about compiling Quran after the Prophet but there were some Sahaba who gathered the Quran, although Quran wasn't in book form, but he was one of those who gathered the Quran in the lifetime of the Prophet Muad bin Jabal. The Prophet sent him somewhere. Where did he send him? For one year. Yemen. He called him one day, Muad, come here. And he come, let's, let's, they were walking. And he walked with him all the way to the outskirts of Medina. And then he said, Oh Muad. I love you. The Prophet said this to him. He said, Oh Mu'ad, Wallahi, I love you. And it's, it's, it's possible that next year, meaning when you come back here, you won't find me alive. You'll find my grave. And imagine how he felt. And he was sending him off for one year. Why? He was sending him to Yemen to teach the people of Yemen Quran and to teach them Islam and Islamic rulings. So, and also, he was from amongst those few Sahaba that would issue fatwas in the lifetime of the Prophet And that's something amazing. Look how young he was. But in the lifetime of the Prophet he had the title of a mufti where he would issue fatwas. So, and look, the Prophet sending him all the way to Yemen. There's nobody else there. He would be the one there. He'd be the scholar there. And, um, you know, the people of Yemen are indebted to Mu'ad bin Jabal radiallahu anhu. Now the Prophet ﷺ passes away. Later on, Sayyiduna Abu Ubaidah, who we've been speaking about, who was the uh, leader in command uh, under uh, Umar bin Khattab anhu, for a very long time over the Asham and the region of Palestine. Abu Ubaidah ibn Jarrah, he appointed Mu'ad bin Jabal to be in charge of Jordan. So he sent him, you go to Jordan. Look after the area of Jordan. Now, when this issue happened, we've just been speaking about where the Christians of Jerusalem, they agreed that we're going to hand over the keys of Jerusalem. We're going to surrender. We'll pay you the jizya, but on one condition that your Amirul Mu'mineen has to come. We're not going to give it to you. We're going to give it to your Amirul Mu'mineen. Now, calling Amirul Mu'mineen Umar bin Khattab from Medina to come to Jerusalem, that was a very big decision. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah never took a big decision without taking the advice of Mu'ad bin Jabal. This is something significant. The rank of Mu'ad bin Jabal. Abu Ubaidah we know was a great person. So Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah, he called and summoned Mu'ad bin Jabal from Jordan and says, come to Palestine, come to Jerusalem right now. I need to speak to you about an urgent matter. So Mu'ad bin Jabal arrives and he addresses him and he says, look, the Christians have agreed finally after months and months of this siege and the blockade that they've done, they've agreed to surrender Jerusalem to the Muslims, but only if the Amir al-Mu'mineen arrive. What is your opinion? Mu'ad bin Jabal says, what if Amir al-Mu'mineen comes and they deceive us? They could just say, oh, we were just saying that. He can come all the way and it could be a disaster. So Mu'ad bin Jabal says, oh Abu Ubaidah, my advice is go to them and ask them to take the qasam and the oath in the name of Allah. And take, tell them to take this yameen. And yameen, a very, yameen, a very strong oath. That we're saying, Wallahi, 
if the Amir al muminin comes and he allows us to live here in peace, we will pay the jizya and will surrender to the Muslims. So they, he takes that advice and they go to the Christians, Sophronius, the patriarch, and says, we want you to take an oath in the name of Allah. You're making, and this is a very heavy demand. You want Amir al-Mu'min to come all the way from Medina. And what if you backtrack from them? And they gave a qasam and an oath. And this was through the blessings of Mu'ad bin Jabal radiyallahu anhu. And as we know, they stuck to their word as well. Umar bin Khattab radiyallahu anhu then came. Sayyidina Mu'ad ibn Jabal, he advised Umar radiyallahu ta'ala anhu as we just mentioned. Sayyidina Mu'ad ibn Jabal radiyallahu anhu was also amongst the Sahaba who witnessed the conquest of Jerusalem. Of course, he was there. So he witnessed that great moment. And also was the second Sahabi who cried the longest on hearing the Adhan of Bilal. So two Sahaba, all the Sahaba cried. But there were two Sahaba who cried the most. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah and number two, Mu'ad bin Jabal. And there was a strong connection between these two as well, which we'll speak about very shortly. When Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah passed away. Now remember, who is Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah? He's the Amir of the whole of Palestine and all the armies that are in Sham. So Amir al-Mu'mineen is Umar radiallahu anhu. Remember what Umar radiallahu said about Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. He told the Sahaba to make a wish. You make a wish. You make a wish. You, all of them made their wishes. What do you want? What do you want? And then the Sahaba said, Oh, Amir al-Mu'mineen, what do you want? He says, I want a room full of people like Abu Ubaidah. He said, if Abu Ubaidah was still alive, without a second thought, he would have been the Khalifa. Straight away, I would have made him the Khalifa, without even asking anybody. That's how much he trusted Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah. But Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah passed away. How did he pass away? We spoke about it. In the plague, in the plague of Amwas. Okay, in the plague of Amwas, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah passed away. So he got afflicted by the plague, but he didn't pass away in Amwas. Amwas is in Palestine, not far from Lud, okay, and Tel Aviv. It's not too far from there. But the, this is where the plague started in Amwas. And while by the time he got to a place by Jordan, that is where he passed away. Now, Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah passed away. Who becomes the Amir now of the armies in Asham? Mu'ad bin Jabal. Mu'ad bin Jabal now becomes the leader of all of the armies in the whole of Asham. However, it wasn't long. He didn't live long because he also got affected by the plague of Amwas and he passed away in Jordan at the age of anybody? At the age of? Take a less. 33. The age of 33. Very young Sahabi achieved so much in those few years at the age of 33 in jordan he is buried um, and he passed away by the coastal area by tiberius and this is where he uh, passed he again was afflicted by the plague if you read into the history we spoke about it during the pandemic uh, right early on sayyidina mu'ad radiyallahu was also appointed by umar radiyallahu to teach quran to the people of palestine so we hear about yemen but he also taught the people of Palestine Quran as well. During the lifetime of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, there were five Sahaba that gathered the Quran. Uh, Mu'ad uh, bin Jabal, Ubadah bin Samit, Ubayy ibn Ka'ab, Abu Ayyub, and Abu Darda. These are five Sahaba. So the people of Asham, they sent a letter to Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, 
that we want you to send a teacher to teach us Quran. There are so many new Muslims. Remember, it's, that's far, isn't it? The land of Syria, Palestine is far from Medina and Mecca. So people accepting Islam, Islam spreading now. Okay, this is the time when Islam spreading. But they need people to teach them Islam. There's not that many teachers there. Most of the people there are new Muslims. So they sent a letter saying, send us one of the Sahaba who are experts to teach Quran. So Umar radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he called these five. He says, you are, you're, you're the greatest Quranic experts. You gathered the Quran in the time of the Prophet And he said to them, look, I want three of you at least. From five of you, I need three. I need to send you as Quran teachers to Asham. So either you volunteer from five of you, three of you volunteer. You are amongst yourselves, choose three people. And if you all want to go, then draw lots. Okay, put your names in a box and pick out three names. So straight away, they said, we're not going to pick out names. Why? Because from us five, two of us, okay, are goners. Okay, one, and they pointed to uh, Abu Ayyub, uh, he's really old. He can't go. And the second one they're pointing to is Ubay ibn Ka'ab. So Ubay ibn Ka'ab is very sick. He's too sick. He can't travel that far. That leaves only three of us. Mu'adh bin Jabal and Ubada bin Samit and Abu Darda. Three. So those three then got ready and they traveled to Syria first. And when they got to Syria, Ubada bin Samit, he became the teacher of the people of what we call today Homs. Where is Homs? You see on the news all the time. Okay, in Syria, okay, he used to be called originally, I think, Imassa or something like this, the original name. So this is where uh, Ubadah bin Samit becomes a teacher of the people of Homs. And then Abu Darda becomes the teacher of the people of Damascus. They travel to Damascus, Abu Darda settles there and he becomes the Quran teacher for the people of Damascus. And then Mu'ad bin Jabal became the Quran teacher for the people of Palestine. So this is something again great. So on one occasion when he came to Palestine, he said, come and go. One of the occasions when Mu'ad bin Jabal came to Palestine, he remained there for three days. During the day he would fast and during the night he would pray. Qiyamul Layl. When he was leaving, he was returning back. He reached the peak of a mountain and he turned back to the people of Palestine and he gave them an advice. One of the advices that were given by Mu'ad bin Jabal in Palestine what did he say to the people? He said, people, whatever sins have been committed by you in the past, Allah has forgiven them. Well, how, how is he saying this? Because if you pray two rakat salah in Masjid Al-Aqsa, Sulaiman alayhi salam made a dua that whoever comes here and performs two rakat salah, oh Allah, make them leave just like the day they were born, sinless. So he's saying to them, whatever sins you committed in the past, Allah has forgiven them. Then he says to them, now it is upon you to be mindful for that which remains of your life. So the past, forget it now, Allah's forgiven. Now be mindful of what is left. Make sure you don't do anything wrong. And finally, it's also been narrated that Sayyidina Mu'ad bin Jabal wore his ihram for Umrah from Baytul Maqdis, from Masjid Al-Aqsa, and he traveled to Umrah from there. And from amongst the other few Sahaba that did that, he was also from amongst those as well. So that ends today's lesson. What's the campaign for this week? What can we learn from this incident of Mu'adh bin Jawal? Something we can practice throughout the week. And that is 
let us try and revive the spirit of Mu'ad ibn Jabal to teach the deen of Allah to other people. Whatever you know, whatever you know, okay, everybody knows something. Look, he at the tender age of 33, he became and considered the teacher of the people of Medina, the teacher of the people of Yemen, and teacher of the people of Palestine. Three countries, he's considered the teacher of people of three countries, Medina, Saudi Arabia, you have Yemen and Palestine. And he was only 33 when he passed away. So let us revive this spirit of having this desire to share the deen with other people. Whatever little you might know, like today we've learned this, go out and share it. Talk to people about it. You hear other things, you learn other things, whether it's a Quranic verse, whether it's a Sunnah, it's a Dua, share it with other people and that is reviving the spirit of Mu'ad ibn Jabal. May Allah give us a tawfiq. Inshallah, we'll spend a few minutes reciting Quran and then we'll conclude with dhikr and dua. Who's the Qibla, inshallah? We'll do some dhikr and then conclude with dua. Recite Dura Sharif Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa barik wa salli La ilaha illa Allah, 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 la ilaha illa Allah.
سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله والحمد لله ولا إله إلا الله والله أكبر ولا حول ولا قوة إلا بالله العلي العظيم سبحان الله وبحمده سبحان الله 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 العظيم استغفر الله 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 
Allah, 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 بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا ونبينا وشفيعنا وحبيبنا وسندنا ومولانا محمد وبارك وسلم يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام يا ذا الجلال والإكرام لا إله إلا أنت سبحانك إني كنت من الظالمين وإلهكم إله واحد لا إله إلا هو الرحمن الرحيم اللهم لا أحسي ثناء عليك أنت كما أثنيت على نفسك جزا الله عنا سيدنا محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم ما هو أهله رضينا بالله ربا وبالإسلام دينا وبمحمد صلى الله عليه وسلم رسولا ونبيا الحمد لله الذي هدانا لهذا وما كنا لنهتدي لولا أن هدانا الله اللهم لك الحمد كله ولك الشكر كله اللهم لك الحمد ولا نعمة الإيمان ولك الحمد ولا نعمة الإسلام ربنا ظلمنا أنفسنا وإن لم تغفر لنا وترحمنا لنكونن من الخاسرين O kind Allah, O loving Allah, O most merciful Allah, O most forgiving Allah Allah please forgive all our sins Allah, we have committed many sins, O oh Allah. We are covered with our sins, O oh Allah. Day and night, O oh Allah, we spend disobeying you, O oh Allah. You carry on forgiving us and you carry on blessing us, O oh Allah. We ask you for your complete forgiveness, O oh Allah. Wipe away all our sins, O oh Allah. Delete our past history, O oh Allah. Cleanse us, O oh Allah. Purify us, O oh Allah. Grant us the ability to stay away from sins, O oh Allah. Create the hatred of sins in our hearts, O oh Allah. And grant us the love of Iman and Islam, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of the Qur'an, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Salah, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of Dhikr, O oh Allah. Grant us the love of the Sunnah, O oh Allah. Make us closer to you, O oh Allah. Help us to follow the Sunnah of the Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Grant us happiness within our homes, O oh Allah. Grant us peace within our lives, O oh Allah. Grant us barakah in everything that we do, O oh Allah. O oh Allah, become pleased with us, O oh Allah. Make us pleased with you, O oh Allah. Help us to become content, O oh Allah. Grant us the quality of shukr and gratitude. O oh Allah, oh Allah, protect our parents, O oh Allah, look after our parents, O oh Allah, grant good health to our parents, O oh Allah, have mercy on our parents, O oh Allah, those of our parents who have left the world, fill their graves with noor, O oh Allah, elevate their status in the hereafter, O oh Allah, unite us with them in Jannah al-Firdaus, O oh Allah, a time will come when we also have to leave the world, O oh Allah, O oh Allah, make our last day our best day, O oh Allah, 
make our final action our best action O oh Allah and grant us the kalima la ilaha illallah Muhammadur Rasulullah when we are leaving the world O oh Allah make all the stages of the hereafter easy for us O oh Allah safeguard us from the fire of Jahannam O oh Allah enters uh, grant us entry into Jannah for those O oh Allah Allah help us O oh Allah sustain us O oh Allah protect us O oh Allah protect the Haramain Sharifain O oh Allah protect the Haramain Sharifain O oh Allah protect Masjidul Aqsa O oh Allah Allah protect the sanctity of Masjidul Aqsa O oh Allah run Masjidul Aqsa and Palestine liberation O oh Allah make us from amongst those who work for this cause O oh Allah accept us and utilize us O oh Allah and do not replace us O oh Allah utilize us O oh Allah and do not replace us O oh Allah accept and utilize us for the service of your deen O oh Allah oh Allah accept us O oh Allah accept us O oh Allah Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta samiul alim Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam asked of you many good things we ask of you the same and he sought your protection from many evils we seek your protection from the same Allah help us prepare for the holy month of Ramadan bless us in the month of Sha'ban and help us to reach the month of Ramadan Subhana Rabbika Rabbil Izzati Amma Yasifun Wa Salaamun Ala Al-Mursaleen Alhamdulillah Inshallah there's breakfast for everybody please do partake before you leave after Ishraq